0: For our scripture reading, we'll begin reading with verse 27 of John chapter 4. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking to her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So his disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say? There are yet four months. And then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for the harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. The word of the Lord. Before we look at John chapter 4, let's pray and ask the Father to teach us. Our Father, we bow before you as your priests. You've been so gracious to us, Father. You've heard the prayers of your priests. This, we're a whole congregation of priests. We're called to be. It's not just me or Brian. It's not just our leadership. Father, When we understand when Christ calls us, he calls all of us to be priests, to come and bring the world around them as priests before his throne in prayer. Our Father, thank you for how you've answered prayers, especially, Father, we rejoice that how well that Phil Howley is, Father, recovering. We pray, our Father, in thanksgiving, as he was here yesterday as the chairs were set up. We thank you for the progress that's been made. But we pray that that progress will continue. Father, give him full use, his arms and legs. Father, restore his mind completely. We pray for Eileen Wood. We thank you for how you have blessed her and brought healing. But, Father, there's more to be done. We pray that you would give the doctors wisdom and insight to be able to see what it is that's causing this malady. But, oh, Father, bring healing to Eileen. We thank you for the testimony that she is to all of us as we go to minister to her. She really ministers to us, and we thank you for the strength that you've given her. This morning, we pray for Frances Montgomery as she has surgery. Bless her through this surgery. We pray that it would bring the healing that the surgery is designed to bring. Father, as Freddie Griffin has hip surgery on this Tuesday. We pray that you would bring a complete healing to Freddie. We thank you for the testimony of Faye and Freddie in our midst, their faithfulness week after week, and we pray now that you would give them years yet upon this earth, and years yet in this fellowship as they continue to encourage us. And now, our Father, we turn to your word. John Sartell cannot teach, so it will make any difference in our lives. So, Father, we turn to you and ask that you would teach us, that we would hear your voice in our hearts, that we would leave here in a few minutes knowing that you have spoken. Continue to change us, Father. Those who are in Christ, continue to grow us in Christ. And maybe here this morning, Father, change some of us for the first time for your glory, the glory of your Son and of your Spirit. Amen. Jesus, how do I tell someone about you? Two of the longest conversations between Jesus and individuals that are recorded in the Gospels are recorded in John 3 and 4. We saw two weeks ago Jesus spoke at length to a man named Nicodemus. And then spoke at length in chapter 4 last week to an unnamed woman at the well of Jacob. So, what was Jesus talking to Nicodemus about in John 3? Now, listen, listen, I want you to answer that question. What was he talking about? I want us to face the reality of it. He was talking about salvation. Nicodemus, you're not a saved man, and you need to be saved. You need to be born again. In John 4, what was Jesus talking about? to the woman at the well. We saw it last week. Salvation! She was not saved. Jesus said, Lady, you need the living water that you can only get at one cistern, and it it's a cistern. It is the well of the Messiah. People think about it. You see, in these two long conversations, Jesus the evangelist. What was his major concern with both of them? Jesus addressed head on their individual eternal salvation. Now sometimes as Christians, we seem to teach that following Christ is a wise and good way to live. Now, it is a wise and good way to live. But, if we only tell that to our children, follow Christ, follow the precepts of Scripture, it's a wise way to live. That's not the gospel, folks. It's really not. When we engage culture by saying, follow God's word, it's the right and good way to live. That's true, but it's not the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. You don't want to perish? You better be saved. What's been happening in the first 26 verses Of John chapter 4. Jesus has been revealing himself to a Samaritan woman at the well of Jacob right outside the small town of Sychar. He does not reveal himself merely as a rabbi, in fact in his passage his disciples call him rabbi, but that's not how he revealed himself to her. He didn't reveal himself to her as a great teacher. He reveals himself as the Messiah of Israel who can give her living water that will satisfy and that will lead to eternal life. His disciples had been in town buying food. The disciples returned, just as Jesus has told her in no uncertain terms, I am the Messiah. The woman is so stunned and excited by this dynamic conversation that she takes the opportunity, the distraction of the disciples return to run back to town, read the scripture. She even leaves her water jar. She forgot she came to get the water because she had heard of a better water and she runs back to town. Her message is one of urgency. The Messiah is just outside of our town. He's at Jacob's well. The Messiah of Israel. At this point, and this is crucial, I hope you noticed it this morning. At this point, Jesus turns from addressing the woman about eternal life to speaking to the disciples about what he has been doing. He speaks to them about how they are to tell the world about him. This is how you're to reveal me, reveal my gospel to the world you address the individual needs of eternal salvation. Their need of being changed by the Holy Spirit. You reveal this. Their need of being changed by the Holy Spirit at the very core of their being. Their need of a Savior who would take their sins upon himself. By the way, what does Jesus say? They urged him to eat. He was tired, remember? He was tired, he was thirsty, he was hungry. they have been in town buying food. Here they have this food. You ever hear the phrase, somebody will say, at one time you could have said about my son, you could have said, he loves football better than he does to eat. He did. And when, you, you know, we'll pick out something. And we'll say, you know, he loves his job more than he loves to eat. Where do we get that? We get it from this passage. They said, you've got to eat something. And he said, I have food that you don't know about. I have been eating. And I would rather tell people about how to be saved than I would to eat. Is that how you feel? That's what Jesus said. As Christians living in a secular world, we tremble at the whole idea of witnessing, of revealing Jesus and his gospel, especially in this hostile, secular world. Now this morning, we've come like we did. I love this congregation. The Lord has given us together a love of worship, a love of this order of worship, a love of recognizing That our holiness, our reverence should be in response to His transcendence, to His holiness. It's the only way we can respond. We come in through, you know, you say to me week after week, John, I can hardly wait to get here. To meet with this God who made us and sustains us and redeems us. Well, I want to ask you a question. How many of us would be here if we knew that we were going to have a lesson this morning on telling people about Jesus and then we were going to leave at the benediction and scatter through this part of town and knocking on doors or going into shops and telling people how to be saved. I think the crowd this morning would be considerably smaller if we knew we were going to do that. But that is the subject. He has been the evangelist and he's chosen this time to say he's talked to Nicodemus he's talked to the woman at the well and his disciples come return and he says hey you need to hear this 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 was basic to his call Now we hadn't looked at Luke 5 the actual calling of Peter and John and James and Andrew that took place in Galilee we saw Jesus approach them down in Judea but after that In Luke 5, you can read it this afternoon. Just mark it down. Luke 5, read it. It's beautiful. And Jesus calls Peter. John and James were standing right there. Luke 5, 10. It's on your scripture sheet. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. They had been fishermen. Now he was calling them to be fishers of men. Now, you may be thinking, John, this would be the most difficult thing I could ever do. I'm not good at this. I'm not a minister. I'm not even a Sunday school teacher. I would feel weird talking to my neighbors about Jesus or talking to the guys that I play golf with about Jesus. Well, this morning, from what we see in this passage, And what Jesus tells us in this passage, we make this thing of being a witness for Christ more complicated than it really is. For instance, here's a woman to whom Jesus has just revealed himself. And what does she do? What is she doing while Jesus is speaking to his disciples? She's running into town to tell her neighbors that the Messiah is at the well. She had not been... To a class on evangelism. She was not a Reformed theologian. Maybe the best definition of evangelism is that simple phrase Evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where he or she found bread. That's simple. There are six truths that we see in this passage about evangelism. And you're saying, after this introduction, you're saying, uh oh. This is going to be one of Sartell's long ones. Six. Well, I'll tell you at the beginning, we're not going to make all six this morning. And we'll stop it when we get to the time we ought to stop it. And we'll come back and talk about it again. First, I want you to see in this passage, Jesus had an appointment with this woman. Look at verse 4. And he had to pass through Samaria. Now, that word had to carries wait. It means to be bound to. It means that you have to. It's the Greek word dei. It reads, it was necessary for him to pass through Samaria. He was bound to pass through Samaria. He had to pass through Samaria. And we saw last week that the Jews in Judea in the south had an alternate route to Galilee. They did not have to go through Samaria. In fact, most of the time. They would go east, travel up the east side of the Jordan, and then cross back over. They didn't have to do that. Why was it necessary for Jesus to go through Samaria? What what did we say last week? What converted this lady? She said, he knows all about me. He knows everything about me. There's no secret in my life. Things I've tried to hide, he knows all about. Jesus knew, already knew this woman. He had an appointment with her at the well. He knew where she would be coming. He knew when she would be coming. We need to pay attention to this. Jesus still makes appointments. Folks, this is one of the marvelous things. I, I wish some way... I could grab you by your spiritual appels and say, look at this. He does this every day in our lives. And we miss it. You don't know into whose life Jesus is going to take you tomorrow. You don't know who, Jesus is br- who God is going to bring into your life tomorrow. Sometimes, Sometimes we say, wow, that certainly was providential. You know, I bumped into this person. That was providential. Let me ask you, what's going to happen tomorrow in your life that's not providential? You need to get your theology straight. We need to get it straight. Jesus makes appointments, He makes appointments. For us to be salt and light. To specific people at specific times. I can tell you story after story. I was flying from Philadelphia to Memphis. I'd been interviewing some men in Philadelphia. To come work at Independent. I was flying home. I had some work to do. And I really didn't want to be bothered man sat down next to me on the plane and being polite he spoke and I acknowledged him I asked him if he lived in Memphis if he was flying to Memphis and he lived in Memphis I would certainly want to know he said no that he lived in Philadelphia and he was flying to Memphis for a convention that was related to his work he asked me if I lived in Memphis I said, yes. And I knew what was coming. I said, this is going to turn into something long. I'm not going to get my work done. Because I knew the very next question. He said, well, what do you do in Memphis? And so I said, and usually this usually turns people off. They just say, oh, you know, and they try to think, well, have I said something wrong along the way? Have i said a word I shouldn't say. I said, I'm a minister of the gospel in Memphis. At that point, everything changed. He turned in his seat. He grabbed my arm. He was focused, eyes wide. He said, I must talk to you. He told me that his first child had been born two weeks earlier. The baby's life was seriously compromised. He was in a neonatal ICU. He was only flying to Memphis because it was absolutely necessary for the survival of his business. He was only going to be here overnight. He said, When I return, I must decide whether we're going to take my son off of life support. This man was not a Christian. We talked for an hour and a half. I spoke to him about the sovereignty of God, the value of his baby's life. He even acknowledged, I prayed with him, he acknowledged that our time together was some kind of divine appointment. The woman walking to the well, and either at the end of this message or the next time we're together, on this passage I'll tell you the rest of that story the woman the woman walking to the well that day had no idea she had an appointment with the Messiah of Israel but that's why he was there Jesus had a divine appointment with this woman and he still makes appointments for us secondly Jesus says you must reveal me as I am not whom you or the world wants me to be. Look at verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him. He would have given you living water. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who you called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, and what was Jesus doing? He was revealing who he was. If we make Jesus any less than that, the Messiah, the Son of God, we're lying. More than that, we're blaspheming. Who could make the blind to see who could heal leprosy by fiat? Stop storms just with a word and raise the dead by saying, come forth. No mere prophet could do that. No mere moral teacher could do that. You must reveal Jesus. It's who he really is. This is when you think about this. We talk about Ministers and churches that have gotten away from the truth of the gospel. And they said, we live in the 20th century. We don't believe God came flesh. But for some reason, they've stayed in the ministry, and they just want to reveal this Jesus that's very palpable, this Jesus that the world will like. That's not what we do. He's the Son of Man and the Son of God, and He came from glory, and He's coming again from glory. That's who we reveal. I was talking to a brilliant man with several postgraduate degrees. He had actually read the Bible through several times. This is humorous. He did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God from glory. In the Son of Man. He just didn't believe it. But he was fascinated with Jesus. Now, this man's wife belonged to the Methodist church in town. They were an older couple. The minister of that church really did not believe the gospel. It happened to be a Methodist church. It could have been a Presbyterian church, it could have been an Episcopal church. The minister had sold out the gospel and was believing the lie that we've seen taking over churches in the last half of the 20th and first part of the 21st century. But that minister would try to get this man to join his church. And you know what he told that minister? He said, look, I can't join your church. He said, to join your church, to join a Christian church, you're supposed to believe in the deity of Jesus. You're supposed to believe he's the son of God that came once and is coming again. He said, I know you don't believe that. But you're still in the church, and that's dishonest. That's what he told him. He said, I'm not going to be dishonest. I'm not joining your church. I love that man for his integrity. We had great discussions for several years. He had more respect for Jesus than that minister had. The best part is that I saw that gentleman make a profession of faith and come to Jesus. He was saved. Saved. Not coming because it's a wise way to live or a good way to live or a just way to live. He came to Jesus as a sinner who was in danger of hell, and he came to be saved. Jesus had a divine appointment. You want want to minister? You want to tell somebody about Jesus? Jesus had a divine appointment with this woman. He gives us divine appointments. Jesus says, disciples, you must reveal me as I am, not whom you or the world wants me to be. Thirdly, he says, you can speak of me in your everyday world. Look at verses 5 through 7. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Jesus began this conversation at the town well, not in the local synagogue, not in the temple. This section began in chapter 3 with the conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus. That conversation took place at night, probably in the place where Jesus was staying in Jerusalem. Before that, we saw the testimony of Jesus at the wedding feast at Cana. In all of that, the wedding feast and Nicodemus, the woman at the well, he's saying to us, he's saying to Peter and John, do you see where I talked to Nicodemus? Do you see where I talked to this woman? Remember the wedding feast in Cana? People, wherever you are through the week, there are two truths about your life as a Christian. In your life as a Christian, you have a changed heart and the Holy Spirit dwells within you. Wherever you go, work, school, gym, ball field, golf course, dinner with friends, riding horses, dinner with family, washing clothes, texting a friend. You have two things that the world does not have. You have a changed heart, changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you have that same Holy Spirit that indwells you. Wherever you are, Secondly, in your life as a Christian, Jesus has called you to be salt and light wherever you are. Because of your being and who you are, and being indwelled, changed, and indwelled, you will be light in the darkness of this world. Because of your being, because you've been changed and the Holy Spirit dwells in you, you'll be salt. Bringing flavor to this world and inhibiting the rot that is taking place all around us. You're going to be doing that wherever you are. And sometimes you will be totally unaware that you're having an effect. Totally. I'm going to close with this. It's not written here, but I've got to tell you this story. I began my ordained ministry in 1969 in a small town of, didn't even have a red light, Cedar Bluff, Virginia, back in the mountains on the edge of the coal fields. Everything west of us was coal fields, everything east of us was agriculture. This is a small town. I loved those eight years. There was a school teacher. She was an atheist. She lived in an apartment that was owned by one of our members. This apartment was right behind this member's house. She lived there. And the lady that was a member told me about her and said, You need to talk to her. Well, I did talk to her, and we became friends. And we would talk back and forth. She was the atheist. She was enjoying being an atheist. She wanted to cast off God's law and live like she wanted to live, do what she wanted to do. After seven and a half, eight years, I left. And we had not resolved that conflict between us. I was still the Christian. She was still the atheist. We debated everything. Well, fast forward about six or seven years. And i returned return to Cedar Bluff to preach. It was really the first time I'd been back. That Sunday morning, that young lady was there. A teacher. She came up to me afterwards and we hugged. And she said, I'm bringing someone with me tonight to hear you preach. She's my daughter, and that got my attention. And I said, well, did you get married to one of these guys? She said, no, I didn't. I said, something's changed. She said, do you remember just before you left, you went over to, you walked into a gynecologist's office in Abingdon, Virginia. I said, I remember that well. He had been Janet's doctor. And I had come to thank him he was not a Christian at all but I just wanted to thank him for how he had taken care of of Janet I said I remember that she said I was in the office that day she said I was there to have an abortion that day she said How many hours had we debated about abortion? She said, you walked in. You didn't see me, but I saw you. And at that exact moment, I knew everything you'd been telling me was right. And everything I'd been telling you was wrong. That Sunday evening, I met a six or seven year old, beautiful young girl, strawberry blonde. And I had no idea that she was here because I walked into a gynecologist's office. Oh, people, come back in two weeks. You'll hear the rest of this message. But know this. God is not limited by our feebleness, by our awkwardness. He will use us even when we don't know it. If we would just be faithful, just be faithful. That's all. Amen. Our closing hymn is most appropriate. It is one that we have not sung in this church. Jesus and shall it ever be. And it's to, It's not to the tune that's in the hymn book. You look it up, 511. Well, that's not the tune. We'll sing it to the tune of When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Let's stand together. Frances Montgomery she was supposed to have surgery today but through God's grace and through our prayers they said you don't need to have surgery today, you're fine and so sometimes he just answers immediately may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be inside of us And go with us and abide with us. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.